Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Hi, this is your guest, Tom Hessen of The Revenue Hustle, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome our next guest, Rebecca Grimes. Rebecca, welcome to The Revenue Hustle. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. I've gotten to know Rebecca over the past few weeks, and she has a very interesting story. She's currently the chief revenue officer at a company called Ruby, and she's had a, a you know, very diverse background covering both B2B marketing and sales, which you'll see as a theme in our conversation today. Rebecca, give her a little intro to the audience. Fantastic. Um, so my team, uh, we affectionately call the revenue team, and we are responsible for the entire customer journey, all the way from lead acquisition through the sales and onboarding process, all the way through ongoing service support and retention of our customers. So real quick background on Ruby. We are a live virtual receptionist and chat services company that works with over 13,000 small business owners wow. to make meaningful connections with their most important asset, their customers. I joined Ruby in January of 2020. Yes, right before the pandemic um, <laughs> and have been leading our 100 plus person revenue team remotely from Chicago ever since. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so um, yes, I know Ruby and uh, you started there as the chief marketing officer, right? And then you're, you've now, moved into the CRO role. So that's, again, very cool. Um, and Ruby's a very successful company, for those that are not familiar with it. So I would highly encourage you to check it out. Um, so uh, Rebecca, you know how we do this. We do these revenue rules um, where you come in, share some wisdom. So go ahead, give us your first revenue rule. Marketers can run sales organizations. So wow. I, I know that this might be a little controversial, but like, get, let me let me explain what what that means. Um, it definitely doesn't negate having strong sales leadership inside an organization, which I do have at Ruby. But what it does is it breaks down a lot of the barriers to achieving revenue targets that happen in many organizations. I think we all have experienced unhealthy friction between sales and marketing. I think it like it's just expected that that um, that that's the norm. But I'm a believer that it doesn't have to be at Ruby. We've created an environment that is collaborative and grounded in how do we win together and you know, I would even double down to say that I'm a better marketer because I've been on the receiving end of leads from marketing in a sales role. And so I think, you know, I think, you know, can sales run marketing? Maybe, but I think marketers are set up to more successfully run sales organizations, especially if they uniquely have put themselves in the sales role because of the way that we understand how all of the mechanics contribute to a sex to a successful machine. Um, and yeah. so, you know, with my current role, you know, owning the leadership 
um, you know, of marketing plus sales plus rev ops plus partnerships and then customer success, we get to align our KPIs across our entire revenue accountable leadership team. And those translate all the way down into, you know, OKRs for the, you know, the, the next level of leadership. And they work very collaboratively and closely together. Well, you know, there's a lot mentioned on LinkedIn. I love this topic because I think I have worked with CROs that are sales leaders that try to do marketing, right? I think you tell me, do you think most CROs are coming from a sales background or a marketing background? I would say sales. In my I think experience. today sales. Yep. I think today, you know, it, it, it over indexes on sales. And I do think that, um, you know, from an outsider that is not a marketer leaning in, that might be an obvious choice. And I think, you know, there are plenty of examples of successful sales leaders that have taken on um, marketing as a, as a core function of their responsibility. Where I think that that misstep happens is when there is just an over-index on quantity of leads. Just give me better and more leads. Um, without really understanding what channel diversification looks like with understanding conversion of the funnel, how to drive engagement um, and awareness of the brand. Those are often things that are missed when sales leaders um, run marketing and they don't have experience actually understanding how to successfully build a brand and a go-to-market strategy at the same time. And so, it does seem natural to, to put a sales leader into that role just because, you know, if you think I got to grow my sales, who better than my sales leader? And to eliminate the friction, we'll just elevate the sales leader and, and run, you know, put them over the top of marketing. How come you think marketing isn't more thought of as a, you know, a leader in marketing can run sales? Like that just, it just seems so foreign to most. And you see it on LinkedIn. Like there's more conversations today happening about, marketing could run sales and you start to see some of that out there. But, um, you know, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, why, why do you think they aren't given as many opportunities? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I think it's unusual that people, um, with my experience have worn both sales and marketing hats and built BDR functions and SDR functions from the ground up and really challenged kind of the yeah. conventional norm of the way that, um, that growth can happen. And so I think that, you know, that, you know, first and foremost, I, you know, I would challenge all marketers to go on the other side of the aisle and spend some time in sales and listen to the way that the materials that you are delivering, the quality of the leads that you think you have are translating into actual results for the sales organization. And so I think, you know, that, that changed me, that experience of, you know, moving out of a machine that I had built and, you know, I'm delivering all of these leads. I don't know why we're not getting the momentum that I believe we're capable of doing, going and actually going into that sales organization and sitting alongside the sales team and building out functions and really participating in those sales conversations. There was a mismatch in terms of the way that we were marketing the business and the way that sales needed to market the business to get to, mm -hmm. um, to you know, successful outcomes, and so it's nuanced. But you know, I, I do think that like there was a light switch that a moment that I had that was helping me better understand. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, marketers work alongside sales most of their lives, and you know, it's not unusual to participate and observe um, sales conversations. But really deeply understanding 
sales process and methodology and the stages and the content that needs to support each of those stages and the different buyers in that cycle. Um, it, it is something that sales intimately understands, but um, but they don't necessarily on the flip side understand all of the marketing work that goes into maintaining a brand position, all of the nuances right. in the different channels that are now available today. It is a completely different um, you know, uh, landscape, even in the last five years in the way that sales happens. Um, right. and, and so I think that, I think that that's, you know, that's why we're not seeing more marketers, you know, yet lean into, um, CRO roles, but I would encourage, um, to get very close, if not embed yourself in, inside the sales organization and the culture. If, um, if you desire to run all of revenue someday. And how did you, what made you want to go from your, you know, your established marketing career to be in sales? So you weren't just like a marketer, you know, riding shotgun with the sales team. You dropped in, right? Like you were, you were in. I did. Why? I was. What, what made you do that? I, I think it was, you know, largely grounded in the fact that, you know, I, I had spent, uh, the previous two years really just focused on building this velocity of a machine on the demand and the brand side of the business. And we hadn't quite clipped off and started achieving the momentum that I thought we should be having given our market leadership position, our, um, you know, our lead quality, the, you know, the, the customers that we were um, working with and signing up and the references that we were providing and I saw this sales organization, you know, continue to um, to churn itself out, either you know voluntarily or involuntarily. And I said, I have to go figure out what's happening over there. All, you know, from the from the observation from the outside, this should be a well-oiled machine, both of sales and marketing. And it wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. And what I would then discover is that the leads that we were sending over, um, we were too generous with our lead scoring, and they actually needed to be nurtured further along before we passed them on to the sales organization. We also didn't have an outbound um, sales strategy at the time, and so we really need to, to you know, think about what our our TAM look like, and then building a targeted account list for each one of the sales team members so that they could proactively, you know, you know, before account based marketing, you know, came, uh, you know, a, a coined terminology, mm -hmm. but yeah. we were essentially doing account based marketing. Who are the most likely customers that we should be working with, and how do we come at it from a marketing perspective, and then also from an outbound perspective from sales? So follow them around um, digitally, but also proactively engage with them on why they should consider working with us. And it wasn't that, again, that you know, I'm now immersed in this. I'm the one sitting in and navigating. Oh. There's this new buyer that we hadn't planned for, nor had we created content for, that could be a pretty big barrier to us getting this deal across the finish line. How do we engage with them? And um, the relationship building that happens in the sales organization, and it's not as programmatic as you can see in a dashboard of, you know, these are the leads and this is the quality of the leads and these are the logos that we're turning over to the sales team. That was only a small fraction of the story. And until right. I sat in on the other side and took those leads and really tried to work them and understood they weren't ready for sales yet. They needed to be, you know, they weren't sales qualified. They needed to be worked, you know, more to pull them from top of funnel down um, by the marketing organization and really calibration of that, um, of that process didn't happen until I went and moved over into the sales organization. Wow. 
So I, I assume you, you, you got some newfound empathy for your colleagues in sales, right? Because again, there's a, sometimes a misunderstanding of what each other's job does for marketing to sales. The heartbreak of losing a deal that you've worked for six months. Um, it, oh. I mean, it's devastating. And you know, there were there was one uh, there was one account that we um, we worked and lost it twice. And it felt like a breakup. I was like, oh, I know your children's names and birthdays, and how how did this? How did we get here? And so I, um, you know, I think that we didn't account for in the marketing organization the the level of intimacy that actually goes into at the time enterprise um, selling and multi year contracts, but the investment that you have to make in EQ along the IQ when you're going through a sales process. And so how did we do that in a way that was meant to build hero status for those folks that we were mm -hmm. trying to bring along the journey of, you know, becoming customers of ours. And that that's a very different marketing approach when you think about it. Like it isn't just like here are the KPIs and stats and here's the ROI that we've achieved for other customers. It's intimately understanding what are you challenged and faced with and how do I get you promoted by choosing us as your vendor? And that's a completely different way to think about how you support a sales organization. And I never would have gotten there or it would have probably taken way longer if I hadn't gone and just immersed myself in that culture. Wow, that's fascinating. And I imagine, I mean, I, I am a sales guy at heart and I am not a marketer. I dabble in it from time to time. Um, but I've gotten a great appreciation for how many different jobs there are in marketing, right? To me, like in sales, you run the same process over and over and over again. Obviously, each deal is different. Each buyer is different. But, you know, you you have a set number of skills in sales, in my opinion, where in marketing, it is you have a plethora of roles, each with their own unique skill set, right? Especially as the marketing team grows. And it's like it's almost impossible for a marketer to do all things today. Right. Um, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, like coming from sales now back into marketing, to me, that's how I see marketing is just, you know, it takes a small army to do it well because there's just so many different roles and skills. It, it, it does. And, um, and, you know, honestly, the, um, you know, the challenge with, with marketing, you know, quite honestly, is there are new market entrants, there are new product releases. And so, you know, you have to have folks in your organization that are, you know, working on product marketing and demand gen and partnerships and customer marketing. Uh, you know, that is a critical overlooked function in many marketing organizations is actually, I mean, everybody knows this, it is much easier um, and cost uh, efficient to retain customers than it is to replace them. And it is um, it's often a function that you have to fight for, and it is under-resourced, not only just in talent, but in the programs needed to support the um, the retention and expansion strategy. And so, you know, the the nuances of the way that marketers have to, um, you know, wear lots of hats, but also the, you know, the ROI conversation is incredibly, you know, challenging when you're putting dollars into brand activities. Um, you know, it's it's this double-edged sword of I want to be the market category leader, um, but I also need leads to be delivered, and those are two um, um, those are two different strategies for your marketing team to execute on. 
thought leadership, brand awareness, um, actually creating content for consumption mm -hmm. that might not have a direct response element to it, ungating content so that it is consumed without you actually capturing a lead is really challenging for most organizations to wrap their brain around. Wait, we're gonna build mm -hmm. a very valuable asset and we're just gonna give it away and we're not gonna know who's actually consuming that content and we've got no way to go to them? Yes, because what happens, as we all know, is they consume that content and they have an aha moment either in that, in that consumption of the content mm -hmm. or at a later stage and say, I need that service or I need that product. And so it, you know, as much as I would like to, you know, think that marketing can force moments of consideration to happen, we can't. I think that, you know, with, with all of the, you know, FOMO content and um, direct response goals that you have, um, there is an element of, is this the right time for me to be making this buying decision that ultimately is, um, is the challenge and the collaboration between sales and marketing when they're working towards a common goal of you know deeply understanding that and i'm so fortunate that ruby has a product um, and service that we know that we create um, different outcomes for small businesses when they use our services and so it is um it is with passion that our teams um, follow up when we do have customers that want to learn more about Ruby and share their information because we know that it is um, it, it is game changing for them when they start using Ruby services and and I think that that's you know that's also you know I I would encourage marketers and sales professionals alike to actually love and believe in the product or service that you are selling because when you do that when you when you when you come to the table with i'm not just trying to accomplish a sales or you know hit a target it, coming from a place of i genuinely believe that you will achieve a new level of success with us than without us um that that's really special and um and it you know it, i i don't don't take my word for it but like the customer love that we receive every single day is i wish i found you sooner that's the thing that keeps me up at night is how do we um with a megaphone help small businesses understand that services exist that can take a heavy weight off of their plate they're the ceo of everything they're the the heartbeat of our communities and um, build, you know, thriving, um, diverse mm -hmm. communities when small businesses and especially during the pandemic when we've watched with heartbreak so many of our favorite places, unfortunately not survive, but also a ton of new small businesses open up. When you believe in, in what you're doing, um, it actually changes your success criteria and helps mm -hmm. you better market and sell your, um, your products and services. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think that's um, really, really valuable. And and so as, as we think about your role starting at Ruby as a CMO, I think it was your first role at Ruby, if I have that right. So how did the conversation, was there a CRO prior to you or did that you know role get created and you moved into? Like, just talk a little bit about the, the transition, That how did that come about? And then I'd love to yep. get your perspective on once you're there and you're there now, how do you operate marketing and sales with all the background context that you just shared about, you know, your history? Yeah. Um, so I stepped in um, with the title of chief marketing officer, but I was essentially responsible for the, the sales, the new, um, the new revenue mm -hmm. um, 
engine. And so that included sales and marketing and partnerships uh, and operations at the time. And um, and so it was, you know, uh, a role that my predecessor was in. And um, I am usually somebody who comes in as a change agent. I um, I brought in to scale businesses. I do assessments of where we're at today, where we're trying to get to tomorrow, and um, understand operationally what are the gaps that we potentially have to getting that done. And so, um, so my first year at Ruby was really, you know, working with the team, building out new functions, putting, um, you know, people in different roles, and bringing in new talent into the organization to really set us up. Um, for where we were headed and changing internal operational processes that had been in place for years. And so, you know, doing all of those mechanics was really about um, an assessment of, you know, where are we at today? What is our baseline? And what is the foundation that we need to get to where we're headed? And then, you know, the pandemic hit about a month after I joined and it became even more critical for us to double down on culture. And, you know, there was some kismet that happened where we, you know, we now started hiring remote employees where, you know, traditionally we were, you know, in our locales where we had office space um, as our primary hiring locations. And so when we, you know, we started thinking just about opening, um, you know, uh, the opportunity for sales and marketing um, professionals to join us from across the country. And, um, and you know, once I stabilized and got us to a place from a, you know, marketing and a sales perspective where we understood where we were headed and, and the people were, you know, starting to get hired to do what we needed to do. The other missing piece of it was customer marketing. And so we brought in a customer marketing leader and we um, built out her team and then supported that with, you know, what is a 30, 60, 90 day customer journey look like? And, and as we did that, um, I got closer to the customer success organization and, mm. um, and there were some bumps, you know, similar to bumps you feel between sales and marketing teams. There were some bumps in terms of process handoff and collaboration and data sharing. And so um, about a year into my tenure, it, um, it made sense to collapse under a single revenue team, both new returning and while I had um, indirect responsibility, obviously, for retention, aligning that entire team so that there is a revenue target that we are all accountable for. And then that operationally breaks down to retention, expansion, cross-sell, right. upsell, new customer acquisition. And so, um, you know, so that, uh, that, you know, that happened about a year ago. And I can honestly say that, um, it, like, magic happened then. So, you know, it wasn't just um, you know, here are the numbers that we have. It's okay. Something is, is, you know, there's some noise that's happening in the market and our leads have softened this month. How do we still hit that revenue target? What are the other levers that we have across our responsible teams to close that gap? And when you do that, like when you're on these shared KPIs, if this is what we're trying to achieve, how do we get that done? And then you break that down into the, all the contributing elements. Honestly, like that's where the momentum started to build and the uh, innovation started to happen across our teams and the process and efficiency gains started. Well, we do it this way, but if we did it this way, I think we could do this and right. leaning into automation and all of the things that you would see happening um, carry over from the work that we had done on sales and marketing and partnerships into the retention and expansion teams. Um, you know, it it was it was really, um, it was really game changing. And I think that, um, you know, it, it would not have happened if I didn't have fantastic next level leadership that was owning 
accountability for their role right. in our success and getting them aligned um, and talking all the time. And um, and so I, I don't presume that this can all happen without incredible leadership that sits right below it. Um, uh, you know, a revenue team within functional leaders that have expertise in each one of those areas. So I'm not going out on a limb here by saying you're a big advocate for, you know, the CEO role, CRO role that oversees, you know, these different functions rather than them each independently, let's say, reporting to the CEO. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I've been in those roles where they're broken out in, in separate functions and I've been able to replicate the success that we've had here without being under a single, you know, revenue umbrella. Mm -hmm. However, um, the the efficiencies in communication, sharing of data in, um, I hit my goals, I don't know why you didn't hit your goals. That, like Those all go away when you bring these teams together around a single plan that we are accountable for together. And I, I think that that is probably the, 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 the biggest observation that I've had in my nearly 25 years in, um, in revenue you know, responsible management is, you know, marketing, I got my leads done, I hit my goals, you know, I'm accountable for 45% of the leads to get passed over to the sales organization. And um, we crushed it, we had 47. But then that 53 didn't get done and sales is sitting there saying, well, if you know, if marketing had delivered better and quality, like that, that right. noise is very distracting for teams. And it actually means that you're not really figuring out what are the mechanics of the, the the machine that are needing to be fine-tuned when you're just, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't know what happens over there, but I did my job. Right. Um, that doesn't lead to a successful growth story for anybody. And I, I, I no longer want to work in an organization where, um, where that environment is, you know, honestly curated by the executive team and the way that they've designed the teams. And the yeah, goals. I was going to say that's not that can't be a fun environment too when there's a lot of finger pointing and and blame blaming. Um, no, no. no that's, you you painted a really strong picture there, so that that um, that was really cool to hear. And, and sounds like a wonderful place to work. It so, uh, it is incredibly special. Yep. Well, fantastic. Well, well, that's a great transition. I know we do two revenue rules, so why don't you jump in and share us your second revenue rule? Okay, it's probably not going to be a big surprise based on what we just talked about, but um, I am a big believer that you need to throw out the playbook and build a culture where you lean into agility and data-driven decisions. And yes, of course, there are frameworks for how you should approach scaling a business. You don't walk in without at least, you know, a direction on, you know, the fundamentals that you need to assess and understand. But the last five years, and more importantly, the last two years of the pandemic, I really changed the game in really big ways. So let me share an example of what I mean. Um, I've avoided TikTok because I'm old. Um, I couldn't anymore. Um, I had to be paying attention to it. You know, it's an awareness channel and potentially a direct response channel. So I got involved and actually, I really enjoy it as a channel. Um, and, you know, so in January of this year, I was flipping through um, the, the folks that I follow and an influencer named Deanna. Um, was, you know, there's this Dyson Airwrap that costs $700. And she had purchased this old school Conair set of heated curlers. And she filmed herself putting them in her hair and taking them out. And she was like, link up here in my bio. 
and she broke Con Air. They sold out overnight, like more than 10,000 units. Amazon was sold out. And two days later, she was in conversations with Con Air about working together. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get on a call with them. And I'm confident that nowhere in their plan did they have, we're going to go get Deanna to do this viral moment with us and sell out all of our units. Like that opportunistically happened because their marketing team was paying attention and following the data and the buyers. And so that that's the future of marketing, in my opinion. You know, you start with the fundamentals, but you test and you learn and you fail and you follow where the data leads you. And you, you know, with a curiosity, where are your leads coming from? Why are you turning your customers? What are the competing priorities for your ICP? What's happening in the industry that you need to be in front of? And, um, and you have to just be agile and be okay with this is the plan. And we started down this path and uh, we have to go left instead of right. And that's really hard for a lot of, you know, traditional mm -hmm. marketers because we're so used, like the beginning of the year, we present to our board, like, here's our 2022 plan for all the things that we're going to do this year. And when you do that, you almost with blinders on, aren't really listening to what's happening mm -hmm. around, um, around you. And that's unfortunately how I think that most folks, you know, then end up in Q2, like, panicking and scrambling because it's like, ah, oh, we didn't, it didn't work in Q1. What did we do wrong? Where at every moment um, throughout that quarter, you should have been assessing, um, leaning in, going left instead of right, or staying the course because something is, you know, happening that's really interesting. And, you know, um, that aha moment for us at Ruby was about 18 months ago when um, home services businesses, so you know, contractors, roofers, you know, um, fencing organizations, uh, plumbers, when everybody was stuck in their houses and were like sick of looking at their walls or <laughs> they wanted to entertain in their backyard and they're like, this is the year I'm doing it. Or plumbing problems, I can't, like all the people in the house and all the plumbing problems that came from having everybody in the house all the time. And so um, so we we leaned in and like, who was needing us? How were they using us? What were those services that we needed to consider expanding? And um, our category of what we call home services, which is, you know, anybody that, you know, is a professional that could, you know, support, you know, fixing or improving your home. Um, that's our second largest segment today. And we did that in 18 months. And had we not wow. been paying attention and listening, because that was not that was not the strategy that I had, you know, thought that we needed to go down from. But as soon as we started to see some noise happen, we dug in, we looked at the data, we started going and talking to our customers. Oh my gosh, what a concept. You go talk to your customers and ask them um, and ask them questions to help you shape your strategy. And, um, and so that, that's what I think um, is, is like leaning into agility and having a structure, but not a playbook that you hold everybody right. accountable to um because that rigor doesn't work anymore in marketing it just doesn't and so how do you know how do you get a sense for when to pull the plug on you know going right instead of going left because i think there's you know there's some smoke signals that you're hearing and seeing and then there's maybe a leaning into it and then you're like okay now it's a club beside the head i gotta go you know i gotta change right so how do you like with using yep. the data your intuition how do you kind of process that yeah i mean nothing should ever be done without understanding what the hypothesis is that we're trying to prove out. And so even if it is stay the steady course, it's, 
you know, this is the expansion that we should expect to see from this buyer group. And um, and so that alignment happens with a revenue operations team that is making sure that we have tracking and dashboards and reporting in place, but also, you know, the breadcrumbs to follow what activity is happening throughout the journey and seeing where we might get stuck or maybe when we hit a wall. And so, you know, there was some early noise that happened with, um, with auto dealerships where we were like, could this be a new market segment for us um, last year when we had some you know, folks come to us and need our services and we dug into it and we started building out some campaigns around that. And um, we actually just don't do that well. Um, the calls that they were taking aren't necessarily calls that our people as you know, chameleon-like as possible could go see if a part is available in the back of their warehouse. Like we just, it just didn't right. make sense for the use cases that those customers were seeking us out for that we could do that well. And so we went down a path of exploring that and building content and trying to engage with that and, and came to the conclusion that that's just not a great fit for us. And mm -hmm. so it was, you know, a combination of data, but also making sure that the actual needs could be met of the customer. And I think that, you know, that's another um, that's another tough one for marketing and sales organizations to honestly grapple with is you have your ideal customer profile, but then there's that edge of like, yes, but also we could service this because they have similar needs. And you assume without data um, or actual, you know, um, evidence that you can meet those needs at scale. And so I think that that, you know, again, leads yourself down to if you're not investing in revenue operations, then you can't lean into agility. Like nothing should be done without understanding what our next best action is gonna look like based on what the data is telling us to do. There is also an element of instinct and I don't wanna discount that. There is, I think there's something here, let's go try this. Um, and many you know, folks have been conditioned like a failure is a bad thing. Um, and I, my favorite thing is like, we tried this and it just didn't work. Awesome, what did we learn from that? And how are we gonna right. apply that learnings right. to the next thing that we want to go test and understand? And so, um, you know, when you have a culture of agility and you have a you know, framework in place that says, this is what success is gonna look like and this is how we're gonna measure that, then you have people that are less fearful of that failure because we get to fail fast. And, you know, yeah, I know sure. it's this, you know, fail fast, fail often, but you can't do that unless you understand what you're actually testing. Um, and you have a way to measure that and you have um, uh, check-in points throughout that entire you know, process and you give it enough time to make sure that you're not pulling the plug prematurely before you've even given it a chance to be successful. So right. again, when you have your teams talking and in constant communication um, and delivering feedback, that's, that, that's, um, that's how you can lean into this, this yeah. culture of agility. I was going to say, because it seemed like an example with like the auto dealership, if you had one or two people buy and then you see their lack of success, maybe in customer success, or maybe they're asking for things that you haven't done, or you, you know, you, you see, um, you know, it could be in the opposite direction where a, a customer is wildly successful and you just don't have many of that, right? So you, you need that communication yep. coming out of the customer success team and to shape your ICP or, or, or make those sort of agile changes. Because if they're not communicating, and it's so easy to just be, you know, putting fires out, your local fires, right? And and not, you know, yep. communicating across the entire team about these bigger, you know, movements uh, and trends that you're yep. trying to discuss. It's, um, you know, you're missing a ton of opportunities. So I can see how what we talked about originally 
benefit, you know, the agility and the data-driven um, benefits. All, all of it. And, 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 you know, you know, customer success operations is a function that we have in our RevOps team. And we lean into the data. What, you know, what, it, what is happening in churn on the other side? Is it an indication of a product or feature gap that we need to consider? And then that goes through the product marketing assessment, you know, process where they go talk to customers who are no longer with us, um, existing customers to see what, how that might help them be more successful with using our services. And so this, this constant feedback loop across all of the revenue team um, you know, we have an onboarding team that, you know, is accountable for successfully making sure that we can service those customers. If we get something into the onboarding team's hands from sales that isn't ready um, or um, or they thought we could do something that we can't, we have to deliver that feedback back so that we don't step into that again. Um, as you know, we're we're a high velocity um, organization. You know, we sign up about 20 small businesses a day. And so it is very easy for us to, um, it's very easy for us to, you know, have a machine going and not pay attention to the mechanics um, and the fundamentals that are driving that machine. And, um, and that's where we have to slow down and we've got to, you know, always be in the data, but the data is just one part of the story. We have to talk to each other. Right. We have to bring our teams together and have conversations and talk about what's happening with the business and what are forward-looking indicators that we need to be in front of. And, you know, again, uh, you know, this is the first opportunity that I've had in my career to really bring that type of um, cross-functional collaboration together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years, this is how organizations start to think about, you know, really eclipsing um, their wildest dreams in terms of what their growth and potential could look like if they were to, you know, really break down the silos even more um, by aligning teams around a single set of, of targets and goals. Wow. No, that's fantastic. I, I love that. Um, some of the stories you shared, I think that really does bring to life. Um, it's not just, you know, you sharing kind of on a soapbox, but you can show it with examples of how that's really you know, connecting both from a sales marketing standpoint and then to the CF, you know, and how that all really does connect. Because if you, you know, I can just imagine, you know, if you're in a silo and you're not talking to the other teams, you know, there's so much friction sometimes or just, just lack of knowledge of what's going on. Like one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing and, and therefore you're so late to the game. So you can't be agile to make the quick maneuvers, yeah. right? So you may be more prone to these bigger swings um, you know, maybe not as good, but just as bad, right? If you have a, you're unable to pick up trends as fast, right? Good or bad, you miss stuff. Yeah, and I, I think I think you know, for me, it's always around the untapped potential. So I think that you know, folks have you know an idea of you know how to get from point A to point B, and um, and you know, again, like the traditional playbook of here's our funnel, and these are how things move down the funnel, and approaching it from that way misses those critical opportunities to drive innovation in the way that people move through your buying cycle or from a retention and expansion perspective, how customers stay loyal to you and are potentially a great source of um, referrals for you. Um, right. You know, our customers love us and, sh you know, small businesses talk to each other. Of course they do within their communities. And we have customers that are like, Bob's Plumbing Service referred me to you. Um, how do I get started? And my, you know, my marketing customer acquisition cost is basically 
zero for that customer. You know, that you deliver exceptional service. Um, one of our core values is practice wowism, which means we don't want you to just say that was good or great. We want you to have a wow moment. And when we wow our customers, they talk about it. And I think that that's, a, that's you know, how small businesses are run, but that's also the community um, environment that we deeply feel connected to is, um, you know, again, that's the thing that keeps me up at night is how do we find um, more small businesses and provide services that change their um, their success outcomes? I love that. Um, practice wowism. So that is, um, that's great. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Tell us, Rebecca, how we can follow you. Where can we connect with you online? Yeah, probably the easiest way is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on a lot of other social media platforms, but usually um, Stalker, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. I think that um, there's a lot of great conversation that's happening there. So um, look me up, Rebecca Grimes um, with Ruby, and you will find me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to come and share some of your story. Um, I think you should start a big conversation across marketing and sales and CS teams, even in the, you know, the CEO office, you know, as they talk about how to put together a team to, to you know, to, to achieve some of the outcomes that you uh, and the team at Ruby have achieved. So thank you for sharing that and come back soon. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to The Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.